high drive. Left center field and deep. And over the head of a leaping man. Dozier to third being waved around. Throw to the plate. And inside the park home run for Brian Dozier. I have my eyes on the whole way. So, um, but yeah, when I saw it kick hard to the right, I tried to put it in a second gear. I never got to fifth gear, but put it in a different gear. When I saw his hand waving, uh, I saw him get a little excited uh, about halfway, so I to play a shot. But worked out. I had, a, I had a Easter brunch this morning <laughs> at Red Rabbit, about four-course meal. That's probably why I was It's Judd and so Brian Dozier, man. So both, did I. Both Red brunching Rabbit. at the same spot yesterday. Derek Wetmore is here from 1500ESPN.com and the Touch em All podcast. We just spent like an hour on Joe Maurer and the bleep you shift that the White Sox put on him. No right fielder. Just double middle fingers to Joe Maurer. Hit it here. We, we know you can't, and he didn't. Um, flew out a couple times. Let's talk Byron Buxton, though, Derek, because we're, we're getting to the point now, and he did have the rifle double to right center field on Saturday and also got hit by a pitch, I think, in that game. He did draw a walk. Yes, so he's getting on base a little bit more. We're to that point where... What is the value of truly great center field defense, and where does that cancel out if you just straight up can't make contact like has been the case with him? Yeah. Like, is there any value in – I don't think you should send him down for at least a few more weeks. I think you should let him ride this out, see if he can break out of it. Um, That's my personal stance on it. And they're, they're above 500. He's playing fantastic defense for the most part. What do you think you would do? What do you think they will do? You're putting me in a tight spot here because, to me, we talk about this in a vacuum a lot. And that's where I've kind of gotten hung up lately. It's like, well, how much defense do you need to bring to cancel out the fact that there's no semblance of offense going on right now? I mean, the the biggest bright spot that you can draw is he's put the ball in play a couple of times, and yesterday he flew out to the warning track. Like, well, great, you know? Black hole in the batting order right now, and with the bases loaded and two outs, Byron Buxton's coming to the plate, and there was no doubt about what was going to happen in the at-bat. So to me, though, the the argument of the downside of having him versus the upside of having him on defense doesn't really matter because the Twins have to look at their other options, and their other options in center field right now just aren't that appealing to me. So like you are saying, Phil, I would ride it out for two reasons— One, because this isn't in a vacuum. You have to compare Buxton to whoever his backup would be. Secondly, can you imagine what that would do to him if you told him right now, hey, man, this just isn't working out. Let's go give it a fourth try in the minor leagues. Let's see if we can straighten this out again. I kind of wonder what that does to a player's psyche. I I wonder what might happen with a guy like Jose Barrios if he keeps bouncing up and down. Byron Buxton, I think you got to start asking the same question. So I think the question is this, though. What is best for him, period? I mean, the team is off to a nice start, but this is not about 2017. This is about the future of this player and this franchise. So I think the real question has to be whatever you do shouldn't necessarily be what, what you think is best for the pitching staff because clearly he's great at that position. The question becomes, what do we need to do to potentially maximize what this kid can do at some point? So with that being said, if you were to strip away the fact that Phil Hughes might kill you, uh, if if you were to strip away the fact that it's going to hurt the pitching staff as a whole for sure if he's not there, Derek, what do you do 
singly for Byron Buxton and not being concerned about any other factor. Well, the optimal strategy can't be used because the optimal strategy is stop talking about him. Don't have the media ask him any questions ever. (laughs) Let him bat ninth. Tell him you need like 10 base hits all year and just go do your thing on defense, bud. Because if he's like a defensive replacement pinch runner, he might be one of the better ones in baseball. But... (laughs) When you're drafted second overall and you're billed for three years in a row as the top prospect in all of baseball, you don't get that luxury of just coming up and sort of cutting your teeth as a defensive replacement pinch runner guy. So the optimal thing for the Twins and for Byron Buxton, Judd, would be the fact that, like, let's, you know, let's not lead the show with him. Let's not include him in five thoughts. Let's not go up to his clubhouse stall and talk to him about his problems at the plate and about his confidence and about his pitch recognition. But that's not up to the Twins, really. I mean, like, as long as they're being covered by third-party media, this is going to be a big part of the story, and that's what's going to be most interesting to me. There are two evolutions that have to take place. One, he has to get better at recognizing pitches. I've been saying that since he came up. And two, these, these contact rates just won't work. You just, even if you're good at picking out pitches and you swing and miss, it doesn't do any good. Byron Buxton just flat-out needs to make more contact. I don't know what the Twins can do to make that happen, because if they had the answer, they'd be doing it right now. But I've got to think that the story being all about him so far, probably not good for him. I, I mean, from from his perspective, not good to be answering these questions all the time. I don't know where you go from here if you're the Twins. Well, you saw, I mean, Saturday was a glimpse. The, the ball he hit to right center field on Saturday, that's him. And that's that's been him in the minor leagues. That was him in September last year. Mm-hmm. And he's even said his approach during batting practice that helps pull him out of funks and helps get him right to where his swing feels good is to just hit hard line drives and hard ground balls at the second baseman. Yeah. And then everything else kind of falls into place. Well, that's what that was. And that was on Saturday in the middle of the game. And, you know, he played in a game yesterday, almost hit a home run. I I think you have to, you can't send him down today and they're not going to, I, I don't think they have any intention at all during this four game stretch of, of games against Cleveland to send him down. Um, it gets uncomfortable if you reach the end of April and he's still batting under 100 and striking out in half of his plate appearances. Yeah, but you should—I don't think you should ever send a guy down after two weeks of the of the regular season. And to correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first. Now, did he break camp last year? Yeah, he did. He broke camp last year too. Yep. Yeah, gets so, it down. But but th- there's a great feature on Fangraphs about about guys who started off not this bad in their first potentially full season as a big leaguer, but really bad in their first month or so. Dustin Pedroia was one of them, and he, and they listed like all-star caliber players who were highly touted who just struggled to do anything offensively. You have to give him a chance through the month of April, to me, to pull out of this thing and to show that he can at least be a somewhat competent offensive player so that his defense can continue to carry the team like it has. Yeah, I agree with you, and there are two main reasons why. I love lists today. We've got two things here, three things there. And then there. I have three actual responses to your two points here. And you? I'll have four follow-ups from that okay. on the Touch Em All podcast. Oh, good. Nice tease there. Good the job. way I look at April is like it's important because it's it's informative. It tells you what to maybe look for this season, but it's not definitive. April can lie to you. Uh, and so the, the reason I'd keep... Sounds like your album. <laughs> yeah. The reason that I'd keep Buxton up, at least for the month of April, is twofold. One, I was looking this up the other day. Somebody said, you got to send him down. There's no hope for him at the plate. Uh, send him and Maurer to Rochester because they're hitting whatever. <laughs> Between the two of them, they're batting 100. 
Send Joe to Rochester. Yeah, so you see how that would go over. And I, I, I was looking it up. I said, well, look, there's a lot of good hitters that aren't hitting well. And he's like, well, name a couple. Well, Jose Bautista was batting 150 as of yesterday, after, yesterday afternoon. Uh-huh. Manny Machado, pretty good hitter, 171. Uh-huh. That's not to say Byron Buxton will ever be Manny Machado at the plate. It's not to say that he's going to make it. He might not make it. That's a real possibility here. But just because he hasn't made it in two weeks of April is not definitive to me. The second reason why I wouldn't is I wrote a column last week saying, like, well, if Buxton has to be benched or gets sent out, who replaces him? And really, the Twins don't have a great option there because Eddie Rosario could slide over. Then you got to fill the corner spot. They don't have a great Right. Option there. Uh, Max Kepler could slide over, but the same problem rises there. Danny Santana could play, but Danny Santana's not that good. Zach Granite is in the minor leagues, and he's injured right now. Uh, not going to get back to baseball activities in the next couple of days. So there's not like a ready-made replacement for Byron Buxton anywhere. But don't you guys think that the decision has to be made on what's going to get Buxton to his maximum potential. I don't think this team... Yeah. But I, I don't think this no team... One, no one is saying that he should stay because there's no other option. Right. It's just like one of the factors. Right. Exactly. Because you're not going to say... Because you could... If this was a contending team and, and he was awful at the plate, but that good in center, I think the discussion would be, can we afford to forfeit this defense? You don't want to, but given where this team is Man. at, and and I think Falvey, I think these guys also, as we've talked about a lot before, I think these guys are all about the long play. So I think when it comes to a decision about Maurer and how much he potentially plays or Buxton, I think they're going to give it a good month. A good month. But I also think that these guys are going to make very informed and smart decisions based on what they see as being for the best of this franchise, and that probably starts in 2018. Here's another thing, too, because I've heard the comparisons to what the Twins did with Aaron Hicks and Carlos Gomez, where they left those guys in the big leagues too long, and maybe it a lot of this is narrative. We're never going to be able to know when the sweet spot was to send them down or to how many at-bats do you really need in AAA to, sure. to conquer it. But Carlos Gomez had never conquered AAA when the Twins sort of put him out there in 2008, whenever it was, 2000, somewhere in there. And he just flopped around and flailed at every pitch and was mostly terrible, but offered great defense in center field, a lot like Byron Buxton, and offered five tools that were very raw. I think if they had sent him down earlier to conquer double-A AA and triple-A, and then he came up, it wouldn't have been such a long process before he broke out in his third year with the Brewers. That's my belief. It's it's only my opinion. Aaron Hicks was the same way. Aaron Hicks won that job in spring t- training by hitting three home runs in Clearwater like four years ago. But I don't think he played in triple-A. I think he came Harry right up from double-A. So he had never conquered AAA. Yeah. They left him up there for like three months to, yes. to lose confidence. Byron Buxton doesn't have a ton of at-bats at double and AAA, but he shredded it when he was there. So that's so he, unlike Carlos Gomez and Aaron Hicks, he sort of showed you a double and AAA. I can, I can mash these pitchers and do what I need to do. He still struck out quite a bit in his yeah. like 200 plate appearances or 100 at AAA. I think he needs to see major league pitching for as long as you can stand it before you entertain sending him back down to conquer pitching he's already conquered. Yeah, well, I mean, the counterpoint to that, and not that I disagree with you too strongly, because I, I think the conclusion you reached is is what I agree with, but he really only had, and I don't have the math right in front of me, but like 350 plate appearances in the minors, the high minors, double-A AA and triple-A. That's not that much. And don't forget, he had a full season basically wiped out from multiple injuries, including that scary collision with Mike Kwasnicka in the minor leagues. Double-A, yeah. Like... 
it's just not that much for him to have experienced some of the top end pitching where his his numbers do stack up. Don't get me wrong. His minor league numbers are impressive, and that's what makes this a little more maddening. But it's not as if to say, like, over a 1,000 plate appearances, he was just a crusher down there. He did well in a short amount of time, and he's 23 years old, now trying to figure it out against the best in the world. But most star players don't have a 1,000 plate that's appearances right. at double and triple A, because if you do, you're not a star player. That's right. So <laughs> That's right. I know. But I'm just saying, it's not like he's this seasoned guy that's, like, learned how to hit sliders and recognize two strikes. Here's the thing that's informative to me. When you watch a game, do this today when you when you're watching the game tonight whether you're at target field or watching on your tv if byron buxton plays byron buxton will have a two strike count so just pay close attention <laughs> to when byron no, buxton come on that's as outlandish probabilities this is going out on a limb to say that there will probably be a two strike count today mm-hmm. now watch I, I pay very close attention to the first pitch after buxton gets to two strikes and over time you'll start to see this pattern emerge and it's like if if you're a neutral observer like me, it's kind of funny. If you're a Twins fan, it's probably really annoying. Uh, when he gets to two strikes, the pitchers are throwing these like ridiculously non-contest balls out of the strike zone. Quintana yeah. threw a ball at his eyes, and Buxton watched it. Okay, good for you. Now it's one and two. Right. Uh, James Shields gets to two strikes with the bases loaded and two outs against Buxton the other day, and he threw a 55-footer, I'm pretty sure, on purpose. Mm-hmm. Because, hey— I'm not saying you'll for sure swing at this kid, but there's a chance that you're going to swing at this. There's a 0% chance the pitchers are giving him a strike with two strikes right now. Watch what opposing pitchers do to him with two strikes, and I think that'll start to tell you what the scouting report says about this guy and how much confidence that opposing pitchers have that he'll swing over a ball or just get himself out. That That's a bad sign for the Twins it, right now. It is true. Um, yes. it's. I mean, there's no reason to throw anything other no, than a pitch you? that's eight feet off the why plate. And you? he's flinching at some of those pitches. Uh, let's wrap it up with some more Twins discussion. Derek Wetmore, we can run our Joe Mauer. Burt Blylevin, and if you missed it earlier, went at Joe Mauer pretty hard on the broadcast by Fox Sports North Standards, and it was 100% warranted. Mm-hmm. Judd and I think we'll get your thoughts on it when we come back to wrap it up. It's Mackie and Judd. Let's first talk about the best car dealership and service department, though, in the Twin Cities. Luther, Brookdale, Toyota, 694, and Brooklyn Boulevard. Open until 9 o'clock tonight if you want to stop in and get a test drive. It's beautiful outside. This is your chance to go in and maybe uh, test drive one of those those sport model Corollas, I am leasing one from 2016. Uh, it's a three-year lease. Love the sunroof on days like today. Love everything about the technology, the reverse cam. Uh, safety sense available in most of the new 2017 models, including the RAV4, which you can lease right now. 36-month lease for under $200 a month. If you want something a little bit more powerful, a little bit more uh, muscular. How about a 2017 Highlander or Tacoma for $339 per month? Um, you can also ask about the, the 12 different models available for 0% financing 72 months if you're into the financing sort of things. Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. Mackie and Judd now continue. Yeah! On 1500 ESPN. Minnesota United FC is taking on Colorado this Sunday, and you can catch that game right here on your radio. The pre-match coverage starts at 4.30. They'll kick it off at 5 o'clock on Sunday. It's all right here on 1500 ESPN. Go hitting 214. 
in my opinion, he has been victimized more than any other player I know with the advanced scouting reports that teams have. When he was winning batting championships and perennially hitting over 300, he got a lot of hits to where there are now fielders. He's hit some wow. line, line drives. <laughs> what about Dick? He has to make an adjustment. No, I know that. He will not do that. So, yeah, I mean, uh, they, of course, they do it Kansas City, every ball club. There's so much room down that right field line, but Joe will not attempt to pull the ball. Look at the outfield. Look at the Garcias. Look where they're playing. <laughs> we got one down at left field line, one to left center, and the other one playing right center. And if he pulls one so, into the right field corner, he's got an inside well, the park home run. You can say that Joe is getting cheated, but Joe's no. not making an adjustment like a pitcher has to make an adjustment, or anybody does. No, I didn't say he was getting cheated. I'm saying he's been, been victimized by the intelligence that's in baseball now, where you're right. I mean, you you have to have the wee Willie Keeler approach. Hit them where they ain't. But Joe was the shift was put on long before all these numbers have come out. That's the way Joe hits. He hits the ball the other way. There's a lot of things Burt Blylevin says on broadcast that I disagree with. Yeah, that wasn't one of them. No, that was a double bird shift by the Chicago White Sox. And if, if people didn't see it, the right fielder was playing center field shaded to right. And there was nobody standing behind the first baseman yeah. or second baseman all the way to the wall. Did you hear the kind of uncomfortable tension between those there two? Was oh, the, picker, the pickering yeah. is they great. Get, they get after each other like a married couple every once in a while. The They'll pickering was it. good. I'm not saying that. <laughs> no, well, but here's Bert, my point, hear, sir. Hey, hey Mawa. Yeah, I know In the background, background well, where the fans start getting on him. So Bert's right. I, what a sad state of affairs to talk about the idea of being victimized by intelligence, he says. <laughs> What a, like that's a weird quote. It's a weird thing to say. Being victimized by the other team trying to win. What do you mean by that? That's like, well, other pitchers are throwing harder nowadays, and that's just not fair to guys who can't get the bat around. Quickly. Man, Steph Curry, he just—it's not fair when he gets trapped off those pick and rolls now. So, t- so teams don't watch him launch threes with no uh, hand in his face. Game, game plans are now unfair because they victimize our favorite players. How dare the Blues have an idea of how right. to play the well, Wild? And the forward pass really hurting defenses in the NFL. That is, so, you're right. Here's the problem with Maurer, and I kind of—I'm a soft disagree with you guys. Because it sounds like you're on Team Burt, right? Where he says, yeah, if they're going to give you right field, it's embarrassing if you don't pull the ball. I agree with Burt, 100%. Yeah, yeah so I, I agree with Burt. So I don't I don't 100% agree. I talked to a hitting coach one time who said, it sounds great in theory to have the guys who are just like pure pull hitters. I'm thinking power hitters, uh, Edwin Encarnacion, Chris Davis, these kinds of guys who who have a ton of power and who just kind of have their lane. Brian Dozier's like this, too. Brian Dozier is trying to hit a home run to left field, and if it goes to left center, it might not go out. So he's trying to really pull the ball, and it's worked great for him. But this hitting coach told me that you'd think, when you see a guy playing like the David Ortiz shift, you'd think it'd be really easy for him to just like inside out the ball or look for a pitch on the outer half and just be like, okay, I'm going the other way. And Ortiz is a bad example, Hall of Famer, who actually could do that, and he hit for power the other way. But he said it's like harder than you think to adjust who you are as a hitter. And 
I'm not trying to defend Joe here because he definitely is one-dimensional at this point. It's not like he's spraying line drives and they're just but, being caught everywhere. But, but he's hitting the ball softer, too. He's just he not as, as potent as a hitter. It's twofold. His body, physically, he's not the same guy he was five or six years ago. He's not hitting. that. We can make fun of like exit velocities. He ain't hitting the ball That's as right. hard as he was no, five not. or six years ago. But to say that, and I'm with you, it's not just, oh, I snapped my fingers and now I'm going to be able to hit the ball on a dime to wherever I want. Yeah. If he wanted to, he's one of the greatest hitters of, in, in terms of just pure hitting, batting average, he's extremely talented. Not what he was five years ago or ten years ago. If he wanted to move up eight inches on the plate, put a little, little extra padding on that right elbow, mm-hmm. lean over and take some of those outs, because they're going to pitch him away, too, to try and play to the defense, sure. and yank a looper down the right field line just to say, uh-uh, you're not shifting me that far. Move back to right field, then I will stay. It can be a cat and mouse game. Yeah. Like, to not have any ability to hit a ball down the right field line at all, that's that's what that shift was. Yeah. So Not once in a while you hit one down there. It's you never hit a ball down here, and we don't think you're capable of, and we're going to pitch you away. Yeah, I dare Try you. Us. I dare you. Go get it. And and now, I, I mostly agree with you. I'm just saying, I'm relaying what this hitting coach is saying, that it's not that easy. And this isn't James Rousen, for the record. But this is a couple of years ago, um, saying that it's not it's not the kind of thing that a hitter like a, like a Chris Davis can just come up and just dink, drop it down the third baseline, sure. or Joe Maurer. I'm not so saying that, he so shouldn't he's just try screwed? to do it. Like, so then he should just hit no. 250? And... My point is that if he tried to do that, maybe sometimes he'd hit a line drive, but other times he just might not be comfortable but, with that swing, and it's not like his batting average would go up significantly. Bly, That's what you're trying to get from Joe Maurer. Bly Levin's point, though, is that he's never made a concentrated effort That's to right. try and change it. And, and, I, and if this was a this-year thing... right. I see what you're saying. That's, but to Bert's point, he's saying this is a dick. This has been going on for exactly a long time. exactly where I agree and, with Bert. And by the way, it helps when we name David Ortiz and Brian Dozier, these guys. They're going to hit 30 or 35 balls over the fence, regardless yeah. of shift, that Joe Maurer can't or yeah. doesn't. And also, balls off the wall or off the warning check. How often is he even hitting a ball over an outfielder's head anymore? Almost never, right? So it ain't the same Joe Maurer. We agree on that. But the Twins are seven and five. Four games against Cleveland. Um, plenty of good storylines. I'm sure we'll dive into on the Touch 'Em All podcast this week. Find that on iTunes. Find our podcast, Mackie and Judd, on iTunes. We'll see you tomorrow.